Welcome to ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. I'm your host today, Mike Keyes. Today we're going to speak with Mike Flannery, who is Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. He has degrees in library science and history, his history training coming from Cal State Dominguez Hills. And he's an award-winning author, recognized by the American Institute of the History of Pharmacy. Welcome, Mike, to the show. Hi, Mike. So, recently you have been doing some thinking and reviewing of Ken Miller's new book, which is called The Human Instinct, How We Evolved to Have Reason, Consciousness, and Free Will, with Simon and Schuster. What caught your attention about this new book by... Miller, and by the way, who is Ken Miller? What, why, why care about what Ken Miller is saying? Well, Ken Miller is at Brown University. He's written a number of biology textbooks. He's been, I think, an influential figure in the, the publishing of biology textbooks and an influential figure in the teaching of evolutionary biology. He's fairly certainly well-known in the field, but moreover has written a series of books that pretty much map out his position of what is commonly referred to as theistic evolution. In other words, the idea that the idea of a god and moreover orthodox Christianity is more or less compatible with Darwinian evolution. So that would be like in his book, Finding Darwin's God. Precisely. And a a similar work that came out a little later, uh, a book called Only a Theory, Evolution and the Battle for America's Soul. He's, He's very much part of that cheerleading squad rooting for Darwinian evolution and Darwinian mechanisms in evolutionary theory, equating it with science. And so in that sense, he fits in with Francis Collins, Carl Giberson, and other so-called theistic evolutionists. So when The Human Instinct came out, being familiar with his some of his other work and his prominence, certainly as a textbook author in evolutionary biology, I thought I'd take a look at it and see what was in store. The title sounds like he's going to explain just about everything that's distinctly human, free will, <laughs> reason. Right. So it's a pretty ambitious agenda here. So how does Miller sort of introduce this theme and what, what does he set out as his goal in the book? Well, his, his goal you know, in the book, and and it's really not different from some of the other things he said in some of his other books, although here he is specifically focusing on on human attributes. He says if there's one thing he thinks that prevents people from really signing on to Darwinian theory, it's it's application to human beings. And and here he wants to dispel the notion that Darwinism can fit uh, scientifically when we're talking about animals and when we're talking about the diversity of life, but then somehow is problematic when we're talking about human beings. He says, no, no, that's not true. It's equally 
compatible with the special attributes and the special intellect of human beings. And in fact, is a, a perfect scientific description for an accurate worldview involving everything from one-celled amoeba to, to complex human beings. And, and that's the focus of his book is to really hone in on, on what he's calling the human instinct and how it fits in with that Darwinian scenario. Okay, so here we have a scientist saying, hey, I'm a scientist, I'm a believer in the latest version of Darwinian theory, and, and I also believe in all this other stuff that makes humans distinctively human. How about the connection between those two? How well does he do in actually, you know, making arguments for this? Well, in typical fashion, the problem with, in my opinion, all of Miller's work is that you almost know what he's going to say before he says it. it it's, it's pretty predictable. And he tends to gloss over things and also tends to talk out of both sides of his mouth. So when he's talking about human nature and the special attributes of human beings, he acknowledges to some extent the fact that, well, you know, human attributes really are unique and special. On the other hand, he'll turn right around and say that, you know, well, Really, at the end of the day, the, the the human mind can be explained by these Darwinian attributes. And one of the things that was going to interest me was how he was going to address this issue with regard to Alfred Russell Wallace. And I may just say briefly who he was. Alfred Russell Wallace independently discovered, quite unbeknownst to Darwin at the time, the theory of natural selection. And this is a natural fit for you, I think, Mike, because here, as a historian of pharmacy, historian of science, you've studied these kinds of issues over long periods. And Ken Miller is just a recent iteration of it. And so I, I like to talk with people like you who've done this work because you're setting contemporary debates in a larger historic context. So talk to us about that. Yeah, um, and I and I think I think the point is is one of the major breaking points, and this occurred in 1869. And I'll do this very quickly because I want to get to Miller. In 1869, Wallace broke with Darwin and said, "Well, you know, if you look at the special attributes of human beings, things like art, music, the capacity to make it as well as enjoy it." mathematical abilities, abstract thought. When you look at these, they do not fit in with Darwin's own principle of utility, which says no attribute will be acquired and preserved unless and until it provides that species with a survival advantage. And he says, well, if you look at these, there's no real survival advantage accruing to them. That is immediate advantage, not down the road, hey, we might need this later, right? Right, right. right. (laughs) Right. And in in fact, he says, well, you know, the only way to attribute or to explain these special attributes is to call on an overruling intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, Darwin was aghast, and the rest is history. They they had a very cordial relationship, but they did break, and and he did, as one biography is called, he did become, Wallace certainly became the heretic in Darwin's court. So Miller has to address this. If his principal concern is talking about the human instinct and the human attributes within a Darwinian framework, he has to address this issue that Wallace brought brought up in 1869. 
and he does. And he says that Wallace didn't consider a concept called spangrels. Now, spangrels really calls on an article written in 1979 by Stephen Gould and Richard Lewinton called the Spangrels of San Marco. And the point of this is that the strikingly beautiful Spangrels that depict biblical scenes that tell the stories of Christianity and its links to the Old Testament events and prophets are triangular spaces created between the Venetian cathedral's arches. They're not the starting points of that architecture. They are, in fact, the byproducts, and this is his key point, the byproducts formed by the intersecting multiple domes of the structure meeting at right angles. If you're going to build a cathedral with multiple domes, uh, Miller says, you're, you're going to have spandrels at the points where they meet, whether you want them or not. Right. So he's saying, by analogy, these special human abilities are evolutionary byproducts and not the direct effects of natural selection. They represent what's called expectations, traits that have been co-opted for a use other than the one for which natural selection has created. Now, in typical fashion, this is Miller's quick and ready answer to Wallace. And as he often does, he fails. He gives an answer, oh, well, you know, Wallace just didn't consider Spandrels. He didn't even know about Spandrels. But, you know, now with Stephen Gould and Richard Woolton, now the scales should fall from our eyes and we should see the application. The problem is, and, and this is often the case with Miller, is he gives superficial answers as if they're the final answers. Right. In fact, what's funny about Spandrels is Sidney Brenner, in current biology, not too many years ago, actually objected to the appeal of Spandrels precisely because he said it's too easy a transition from the analogy to the great designer and his intentions. So, I mean, to Sidney Brenner, the concept of Spandrels sort of implies an architect. And so he didn't even like that. So from, from Miller's perspective, Spandrels don't necessarily rule out any kind of overruling intelligence. So whether they're primary or secondary products of architecture, they weren't created blindly by chance. They emerged from the intentional arches of the cathedral's construction in the first place. So a designer might have multiple criteria for design, one a, a, like a primary structural one, but maybe an artistic one on top of that that might actually have included Spandrels, huh? Right. And you, you dig in a little deeper, and S Stephen Jay Gould insists that human nature must be the products of spandrels, or non-adaptive byproducts, as he calls them. And the human brain must be bursting with spandrels that establish central components of what we call human nature, but that arose through non-adaptation. And at the same time, he says natural selection made the human brain big. Most of our mental properties and potentials may be spandrels. And that's, in effect, the argument that Miller is appealing to. But natural selection is still bound by the principle of utility. And the reason for such a, a big brain has to be accounted for in the first place. In fact, an expansive brain and larger cranial size 
brings up a lot of problems as to why and how they would have developed by the principle of utility. A larger brain makes childbirth more painful and more dangerous, and it also tended to defer mental development until much later, making the human infant much more dependent on its parents. So from a strictly sort of Darwinian evolutionary standpoint, a bigger brain does not seem to follow. You can sort of explain them away rather with facile naturalistic explanations, but I think most of them uh, tend to beg the question. David Premack, in a PNAS article called Human and Animal Cognition, says that the broad range of cognitive cases, which includes teaching, causal reasoning, short-term memory planning, theory of mind, consistently shows fundamental limitations in the animal version of the human competence. There's no anomaly in the disparity. The disparity between human and animal cognition is compatible with disparity between human and animal brain. But I would say that argument tends to, to falsify Darwin's idea of human and animal continuity in the first place. So again, uh, getting back to Miller, I don't think appealing to spandrels and expectations really answers the problem. Right. Okay. Well, that's illuminating. I think our listeners will take into account these gaping holes in Miller's book, somewhat of an argument, somewhat of a just sort of <laughs> a series of assertions with not a whole lot of backup. But thanks for the summary of it. And if listeners would like to consider more about the historic backdrop of this, uh, Mike Flannery has a number of books out on Alfred Russell Wallace, and you'll see how these issues cropped up earlier, and uh, that will also give you perspective on how to evaluate arguments such as in Miller's latest book. So thank you, Mike, for being on our show. I might add that if listeners want to uh, take a look at my complete review of Miller's work, it is posted in Evolution News. It was published back in May 4th called Kudzu Science, Ken Miller's The Human Instinct, and, and they can see the whole thing sort of mapped out there. So Excellent. So... This is Mike Keyes with ID the Future. We've been talking with Mike Flannery, and he just cited a web article that you can look at for further information on this at our companion website. So go there, check it out, and uh, we will hope to have you back soon listening to other issues on evolution and intelligent design. Again, this is Mike Keyes with ID the Future. Thank you for joining us. This program was recorded by Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture. ID the Future is copyright Discovery Institute. For more information, visit intelligentdesign.org and idthefuture.com.